This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We are doing this one from on the road, and I've got a uh, special guest with me, returning guest and host, Chainsaw Chad. How you doing today, man? Not too bad. They're going to get tired of hearing me. They've had me on quite a bit lately, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. I don't think anyone gets tired of, uh, of your expertise and your knowledge and your humor. Mm, I'm sure some people do. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> like these guys again, man. Well, we are uh we're headed up the road cuz we're going to go um hunt this evening and spend some time in the tree, hopefully um kill a few does on this property, but um kind of just further preparing for late season. The the farm we're going to, you've had some great success late in the season uh, previous years. And uh, kind of staging it, getting it ready because it's got food. Doesn't have a lot of cover, but it's got food. So uh, a lot of glassing, a lot of observing. And if something comes in range that is antlerless tonight, probably gonna get it. It's kind of one of those. I hope. I honestly hope we see a good buck, but not close. Yeah. Because we're splitting up, and we're not filming. So I hope we see a big one at a distance. Right. Right. Well, it should it should be interesting. Um, we've we've turned the calendar over, right? Now we've left November, and we're in December, or some may call it December. Um, a lot of times, people are closing their own chapter of their hunting season at the end of November. But but really, um, you've had again great success in December and January here in Missouri, and there's a lot of season left and a lot of good season left. And I'm excited for it um, this year in particular, but there's, there's, we're not even close, in my opinion, to, um, to some of the best of season. I, the, the longer I've hunted, the more I have decided I like hunting late season better than about any other time of the year. Yeah, yeah. It's more predictable. You can get them on a pattern. It's not hot and mosquitoes and ticks and everything. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can bundle up and stay warm, it can be some amazing hunting. And you, you're going to see deer if you have food and you're hunting the food, um, or just a transition to the food where it's known bedding. You're going to see deer for sure because it's a it's a it's a very distinct pattern of bed to food during those times of the year. Very little pressure on deer. Most people aren't doing it. Most people aren't getting out. Um, so it's pretty consistent like you're saying so um hopefully we're going to get into that action we get the right weather to get deer moving on their feet during daylight hours and heading to those food resources that we've got prepared but um before we jump into today's podcast um do want to give a quick reminder to everyone listening um if you have interest in consulting services for 2023 please send us an email um, go on to the website, click on the consulting tab on the left, and then scroll down and fill out the inquiry box. I'll shoot us an email, get back with you as soon as I can. Um, but, but make sure you're doing that because the schedule is definitely filling up rapidly. And um, just want to 
say thank you to all those who have and are planning to uh, in advance, but um, we want to maximize the schedule and uh, reach as many people as we can as we're out on the road traveling and uh, working with you guys. So thank you so much for that. And uh, also, quick shout out, if you are looking to gift someone something this year, if they don't already have it, they're crazy, but check out Onyx. Get them an elite membership. Use the code LEGACY20 to get a discount, 20% off of an elite membership for someone close to you, an outdoorsman, um, if they don't already have Onyx. Incredible app and tool that we use on the daily. All right. We're going to smash some toes and just steamroll them today, Chad. And And is that the intention? No, but it's the... It's it's one of this. This is one of the conversations that is just kind of difficult to have. Um, but if you don't have it, then you're always missing out, or you're not maximizing your own self, right? And I think that for a lot of people, <clears throat> if we're being honest, we talk about limiting factors on properties. We talk about what it does and doesn't have and whatnot. But I think an overwhelming percentage of limiting factors is, is one's ability to think creatively and be open-minded. The landowner is the limiting factor, not the property. Exactly. And that, that's, that hurts. It <laughs> <laughs> hurts to hear, but it, it honest, is the truth. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been a part of that. Absolutely. It's, it's having the ability to turn that around, open your mindset, and realize the mistakes you're making and make those changes. For sure. And, and, and make them in a time frame that you're not furthering, you know, let's, say, let's say, damage or hurting the property more. Um, you're, you're getting ahead of it where you can turn the ship around and get back to where you need to and head in the right direction. But, but truthfully the the it's not it's not even necessarily an educational lack of knowledge everyone can learn this stuff everyone can learn habitat management natural resource management wise use like great conservation practices this isn't like some some really difficult science or math that like you have to have this certain IQ to do you have to have an an open mind to be able to apply it understand it but apply it to your property without let's say the common excuses that that we often hear revolving um, other hunters and neighbors or what well, that doesn't happen in my area like when you start throwing out those phrases and I'll, and I'll let you name off a few because I know you've probably got some rattling in your in your brain that that we commonly hear but like when you start naming those things and boxing you, and your property within, like you've 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 put the limiting factor on it. And sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes these limiting factors aren't aren't lack of education, as you said. It's yeah. it's something a and and the the learning. It doesn't take learning to figure that out. Sometimes it's it's experimentation on your own time and realizing the mistakes that you're making as you're as you're as you're applying practices and seeing like oh this doesn't work as well mm-hmm. this way let's try this way 
-hmm. it's not something that you're reading in a book you're you're learning in a classroom it's it's something that you're actually seeing the process as you go and that's why you you keep monitoring everything that you're doing to see the benefits yeah absolutely like some of these these changes and and things to like keep an open mind like there's nuanced um you know ways to to apply tsi or we can talk tsi as a, as a big lump term but but within that umbrella we're, we've got hack a skirt we've got girdle and spray we've got felling and all these things like all those are going to yield different results so like even being close-minded to one of those and 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 only doing one practice like we're, it could be something subtle from an open mind standpoint that we're talking about. Well, maybe well, you mix a bunch of those techniques. You're still accomplishing TSI, but but you're getting different results by doing different practices. And they're gonna they're gonna yield different results according to the area as well. Uh, for sure, like, depending upon where you're at on your place, even from yep. just on our farm. Yeah, like from one ridge to the next, I'm gonna see different benefits depending upon what practice I use. Yep, slope aspect, soils. Um, canopy and, and, and what your intended goal is. But, like, I I think the boxing in and the closed-mindedness is, is that is that, like, speed bump or just an absolute roadblock for people to be able to get past. Um, therefore, they are the limiting factor of their own property, of their own success, and what the property can do and hold and produce – whether it's now or, or in the future. And this is another weighty comment, but some of this stuff is, is almost like a, a generational thing. Like mm-hmm. you've grown up in your own experiences. And I, I want to say this, like, because I, I, I grew up in the East Coast. Like I didn't always live in the Midwest. So like these things are, are like the potential, the big dream of the Midwest, like, I, if I knew what I know now and I applied it in the East on on the properties that I grew up on and had access to, it, I wouldn't be talking like I'd have the same opportunities as Midwest as I do East from a, from a quality, from a caliber of deer. Like I, I, it, there's not regionally, I, I'm not, that's not a limiting factor, let's say like we could kill big deer out there, but I know more now and I wish I would have known it then. But I grew up in a place where basically it was a cattle farm or it was a crop farm and sometimes they cut timber. Like there was no there was no learning of TSI. There was no there's zero burning. No one burned out there. Um, whether they're doing it for wildlife purposes out here or they're just doing it because it was a generational thing, you just you just did it. Um, but like that wasn't even a practice. So like I am saying this from, I grew up in a time frame or, or an area or a household that didn't do any type of land management outside of farming practices or running cattle. And so, um, my limiting factor was I wasn't exposed to things where others limiting factor or, or their generational side of things could be, they just saw a property be stagnant and that the death of, uh, of let's say a slow change over time, the properties are changing over time, but they just weren't able to see it. Right. And so they've observed this property be relatively stagnant and decrease in quality over time because my grandpa didn't do any practices. Dad didn't then do any practices or change the way it's managed. So you're sitting there thinking, well, this is 
this is the kind of the cards that we've been dealt. Here's here is the property, um, and and its potential is X because well, Grandpa shot a good deer in 1988 on that ridge, so I go and hunt that ridge. Like yeah. that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Is those well, thoughts are what's limiting you from experiencing something greater because that's all that you've seen and know. It may be even to the point where it's getting worse for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just accepting that, and it's like, oh, it's getting worse. You don't realize it, but your hunting is worse because of the continued with the same old, same old. Yeah, and and that can be of the course of, you know, three, four, five years, or over over the course of two decades that you've just sat back and watched things just, let's say, implode from within, but it's been such a slow implode that you didn't even recognize it from year to year to year. It, it was just accepted, and you were afraid to go and do things and change the way you manage or change the way you see it, that it just isn't going to... And then it, it, the, the problem isn't going to fix itself. The truly dangerous mindset, just because I, I saw MDC releasing, which is the Missouri Department of Conservation, releasing season dates and stuff today... Um, the really dangerous mindset to fall into is then blame it on the state agency for the regulations. Yeah, for My sure. My hunting is terrible because they won't do this. And it's like, are they managing your property into futility? I don't think so. Right, like that—that's not—that's not on them, <laughs> right? Like that—that's a whole nother topic. But it's—it's a—it's a great time to bring that up because that mindset is is very popular mindset. It's just. Blame it on the state agency that that makes some game regulations and changes and this and that, and that's an easy scapegoat though, mm-hmm. right? To take pressure and I, off. I think a lot of states hear that. A lot uh, of states, no hear doubt, that from from hunters where if, if they would move our season to this, it would be a lot better. If they would change, if if we could only kill two bucks instead of three, oh, it would make all the difference. We'd be killing booners then. Yep, and and. I've said those things. We've talked about some of those things in, in, um, in on the podcast, and there's some truth to some of it, but at the, at the end of the day, if you want to experience something different on your given property, you hold the reins. Like, you are in control. You're in the driver's seat to be able to change and manipulate that property. The question is whether... Is, is, it's not whether the, the property is going to be responsive or not. The, the question is whether it will really work or not. The question is, are you going to accept the change and the challenge to just execute? Because the information's out there. There's at least 500, 600 podcast episodes. There's countless videos. There's a lot of varied sources, I get that, of habitat information, but... It's not because it's not accessible. And so if the information is accessible, then all we have to do is apply that information. And so if you're frustrated by your season this year, if you're frustrated by what you saw or what you didn't see, or um, you had expectations and the property just didn't meet it, what we're saying today is, is don't let yourself be the limiting factor to allow change to happen on the property. Be the catalyst. Be the catalyst. What are some things, Chad, that you've seen, maybe a a mindset change, or like 
part of the family farm was headed in this direction. And then you said, whoa, wait a second. Let's, let's pull the reins back some. And that's the way it's always been done. And we want to actually change it and do something different. What would that be? There's turkeys well, in that yard back there, by <laughs> the way. You know, one of the biggest ones, and I, and I mean, obviously, I don't think there's many things I could say that we haven't touched on in previous podcasts, obviously. But to me, one of the biggest things, the mindset changes is um, where Adam and I, for a long time, couldn't wait for the day that we could manage the farm without cows. Yes. You know, that was that was a goal at some point to get, oh, if we could do this and we could... We could have these different things, and we won't have to have cows there. And because we spent how many years dealing with cows and food plots? Yep, yep. And or, or, frustrations or with it. Or a rotation of cows, and now that pattern changes or, or something. cows ruining deer hunts and turkey hunts and everything else. But then as we started with trying to pay for our own place, yeah. And it was before that. I mean, we already, we'd already yes. kind of had a mindset change before that. Just seeing, you know, like some of the quail research stuff where they were showing the benefits of cattle. Some of the other, it, it's kind of one of those, we went down that rabbit hole of uh, regenerative farming in our food plot stuff, you know, years ago where we were frustrated with our food plot production, mm-hmm. that they were terrible. And it was like, okay, how can we get better? We're We're doing... We're no-tilling. We're doing these things. Why Why do they suck still? Yeah. And it went to a rabbit hole of, okay, well, regenerative farming more and more and more to the point where we're like, oh, you know, there could be a really great benefit of the cows to our, to all of our ground nesting birds. Mm-hmm. I can see where their place is. And then you start to look at, well, the I mean, naturally, there were buffalo here. There were all these large herbivores, and it's like we have to find a way to replace those in our management. So that was, to me, that's one of the biggest mindset changes we had. I think that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but essentially what was a hindrance growing up, what was was something that caused frustration, you educated yourself about and realized that that is now a tool to be applied in in a funds generator to be able to help accomplish other things on the property, right? Yeah. Like and it's, it, instead I mean, of a problem, you turn that problem into a, into a tool that allowed for more growth. And that started with one education, but the two just accepting that I have a changed and, mind. And that's almost a dual mindset change in the fact that it, rather than stick with the same old, same old, managing cows the same way, doing the same old, same old thing, <clears throat> we wanted to get the cows off of there. So that was the first thing. And then yep. our, our kind of mindset evolved even more to the point of, okay, yeah, it's not the cows that are the problem. It's the management. Right. And which then that brings you into like what's happening in, in the last couple of weeks of, hey, like one thing that had always been a struggle for, for that farm was some water sources and being able to move and utilize all the open ground pastures, hay ground that you had and not just saying, well, that's just hay ground or that's just pasture now you guys have put in uh waters and drilled a well to be able to water different pastures and paddocks and move cows efficiently effectively for better um pasture growth and so like in some waters completely changed the way you can operate the farm yeah and in some of too i mean 
it's one of those that we've just in the time span of running the cows we've also seen the benefits to the turkeys to be like mm-hmm. whoa yep we need we them. were correct they have a place they need to be here doing this yeah and so that's a great example no it doesn't revolve around let's say a hunting strategy and whether you were successful or not this season from a mindset change but what it does is completely change the dynamic and the workability of the farm and then that in years to come is going to change the way that it can be managed and the way that cows are going to be integrated into the overall system that the farm's operating in so opposed to i mean rather rather than thinking originally as we have these separate systems or or interests for the farm they've all kind of been morphed into into one and and because in this scenario one plus one is going to equal four instead of one plus one equals two because you've combined it everything like you've had this mind shift change to grow. It also can I mean it can play into our hunting strategy just just as much because I mean for for part of it I mean for one example is we've put all these high tensile electric fence around well we were strategic with our gates to Uh where uh when the cows aren't in places we can drop the gates take them out of there and I mean, what's the what's the obvious effect then? Are the deer going to cross the fence? Or are they going to go through this open gate? Yeah. Well, guess what's thirty yards from the open gate? Yeah, exactly. A tree stand. Tree stand. And not to mention something we've learned from hunting up here at Lebanon is we can use the cows to manipulate the animal movement. Mm-hmm. You can put the cows in certain locations and know, okay. Around. We have different uh, pinch points, The deer right? are not going to use that area as yep. much. They're going to use around the area. So we can hunt off of where the cows are at, and it minimizes the area that the deer are using. For sure. And and when you're in control of that, right, where cows are at certain times of the year, it's a benefit. It's an advantage yeah. that can be applied. So, uh, you know, that, that's a great example of um, well, changing. I mean, for that matter we did it this year on that on the one bottom field you know i broadcast brassicas on that in the summer and they came on strong well that field part of that one big field that we broadcasted in we grazed two-thirds of that field Mm -hmm. guess what direction i mean those two-thirds that we grazed were the downwind portion from the tree stand yeah and and the the portion that has got uh, the blind eye where you can sit on a bunch of different winds and rifle hunt, um, that's where all the food's at, like yeah. and bow hunt. Like so, it's a late season hunting strategy too. Eliminate some of the the food, make the big field hunt small, bring them into close range. But you've you've consumed forage with the cows, fed the cows, but also in the meantime, um, gave more forage opportunities for for deer. So it's a win win, right? Like that that's a, a, a that mindset change though that um look how many benefits can come out of it that's that's what the podcast is is for um this week is is for you to stop looking at your farm the exact same way you looked at it five years ago and this is a like you have to literally work at this you have to intentionally try and do this but look at the farm differently 
than you have. Let's say you've owned it for several years and you you've be, you feel like you're getting into like this complacency mindset um, or, or you're, you're just continuing to see the farm in the same way that you've seen it in the past couple years. And you can you just say that's the way that it is. If you've ever had that statement, then this applies to you. Try and work really hard to see that farm with fresh eyes again. Like, see it as a blank slate. Try and take your observations and your limitations, your thoughts that are limiting the farm, and throw it out the window. Almost like turn over a new leaf into this this farm and try and embrace well, let me see. How would I change this? How would I manipulate this? What are the possibilities? Here are all the tools that we can use, and here's ways to be creative. Um, and and I think that creativity. Not everyone is a creative mind, but creativity. If you can begin to have that on your on your property and not just do what everyone else is doing around you, then you're gonna number one just shine and and be different offer something different but you this really speaks to the people who are let's say longer time owning a property um i mean you guys the family farm has been in you've been there since your your whole life mm-hmm. like you've never not had that piece of ground to go and run on and um have fun with and and whatnot but like you've seen things change and and you know it's kind of interesting I'm outside looking in um, with the way fences have changed with waters now in place. Your dad, I, I was thinking of like this the other day, like his perspective on things like he watched his dad and the way that they raise cows on that place and the way he's done it for his whole life. Like that's he's, he's looking at the change happening as we speak. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's an interesting perspective of like, how he's going to see things kind of evolve and change. And you know, he's made comments to you guys of like, there's more grass in that field than I've ever seen. You know, like, yeah, well, it's been rested. <laughs> more like yeah. all the gates weren't <coughs> weren't open. Like you've let things happen and change. So it's just kind of cool to be able to see that evolution of um, you're kind of forced into a situation of like, this is what's going to happen and we're watching this evolve right before I think, our eyes. <clears throat> I think another another one, a little more habitat-minded, or I guess more timber-minded, that I see a lot of times is the focus of white oaks. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? For like, sure. So many people focus on white oaks, and a lot of times it's because no one hunts late season. Mm-hmm. They know that deer hammer the white oaks. When the, they're in, in the, the woods the year. most. Yep. When people are bow hunting early season, what are the deer doing? Oh, they're hitting the acorns. Hitting white, white oak acorns. They like those white oak acorns way more than they like the red oak acorns. Yep. Well, what time are you in the woods? Oh, I'm in there in September and October. Well, no, that makes no sense. Brainer. Are you there in December? No. Well, what are the deer eating then? The white oak acorns have spoiled by then. What are mm-hmm. they on? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, Should I don't, completely I'm, I'm ignore an entire mast crop option 50 percent plus of the trees and and you know out of mind you we've all three had this conversation before and you guys may have even mentioned it on podcast before but 
to me, like as we see more of this research out there, it makes sense to me that the red oak family is probably more important to wildlife overall than oh, the white percent. oaks. Thousand percent. Because it's getting them through that time. You think about when when white oak acorns are dropping. There's still a decent amount of mm-hmm. food through the timber. Yep. It, it's a preparation these, for winter. Th- it's not a survival yeah, food. Some through of winter. these places that have very little woody browse. Mm-hmm. The the red oak family of acorns are like vital. If they weren't, if it was comprised of ash and cottonwood to the same degree as it was red oaks those deer would be gone. They would be elsewhere on a completely different food source. It would be a very um, time-oriented, like when those deer were there, if the red oaks were not present. Because if you don't have woody brows, that's the only thing that they're eating. And still to this day, no matter the composition percentage of of the stand of timber, Mm -hmm. you see somebody post post a picture on a habitat manager's group on Facebook what tree should I leave, this red oak or this black oak? Yep. Or this red oak or this white, white oak. oak? Yep. Always. Well, I leave that white oak. Got to leave those white oaks. And even even like some professional habitat people, you see them doing TSI, and it's like, I want to leave this group of white oaks. A leave this group. group of white oaks. Yep. And it's like, well, you got to have diversity in your timber stand. You don't leave just the white oaks. Mm-hmm. But For sure. But it's forgotten. Like, it's, we, now, there is a time. In timber management, the red oaks family, uh, the red oak species, don't live as long mm-hmm. as the white oaks. Yep. They're more of a gap filler. Once they get mature, they need cut to regenerate. But leaving them basis, just a whole bias towards white oak timber, white oak trees is is completely missing the whole the whole ball game yep. in timber management. There, there's no doubt about that. And and that's a a shift. Like there's education, right? That that supports this. That 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 represents the need, the importance for um, improving the quantity of mass production, right, out of red oaks for winter survivability. But people just have grown up under this mindset of honor. Put the white oak on the pedestal of just. High caliber, right uh, of of total management, especially in in timber country. revolving around deer. Yeah. In timber country, I mean, it's if you talk to people, they would be completely happy to have their timber stand full of nothing but white oak trees. They would look. They would look at that opportunity or that that thing that timber stand uh, with a smile on their face, but not knowing right what let's say that area is going to look like in December. Um, I remember, gosh, this is a couple years ago, um, that basically it was December 18th. Um, one ridge had a ton of black oaks on it, um, and started like every three, four mornings, there was a buck that would hit this one, um, trail camera and went in there late and in the morning during late season into that same timber stand, shoot the buck. And, uh, it was kind of one of those, like, this just like breaks all the, all the rules, um, or, or, or it's hunting outside the box, let's say, cause late season, you don't normally hunt during the morning, late season, you should be on food plots and, um, big grain fields. But this was on black oak acorns in the morning yeah. 
I in mean, the if timber. We're honest, if we're honest, you look at overall, like in a lot of habitat management mindset, it's you have the acorns early, you hunt those, then it's the rut, then you're hunting food plots. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what that's the shift, and that red oak family is completely forgotten. Yeah, and and it, and it just it really sh- shouldn't be. I think that again, out of the rut, a lot a lot of bucks get killed. Right, um, and then then you shift into well, it's harder to pattern deer on acorns. Like there's some challenges there, but it's not impossible. And and if you have that as a resource, and it's a good year for that resource, you need to be sticking it out and hunting during that time frame, and not just wish that portion of season away. Um, well, even for that matter, like I remember Adam the. I guess it was the day before gun season, so like mid-November. You know, by then the white oak acorns have been on the ground for a long time. Yeah, they we started to get rain by then. They're starting to spoil. They're starting to sprout. But I remember Adam saying, "Is that just caps up in that tree? You've got your binoculars right there. Look in that tree. Is it just caps?" Mm-hmm. And it was a post oak that was still loaded, loaded with acorns. Yeah, still hanging in the trees. Yeah, so they were still good. Uh huh. They just right. hadn't dropped yet. And it's like, if you focused on nothing but white oaks again, yet again, you'd miss that boat of there's a, the post oak acorns are a favored food source that they don't drop at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're not all dropping at the same time. So that's just diversity within your landscape yet yep. again. I think of another, like, boat that everyone just, like, piles their, their little brains into is the emphasis of, like, annual species of like planting grains and greens and what that does and like that's that's like the ultimate kind of food plot right well we've talked about so much on the podcast like i would really rather prefer from an insurance policy of having some food is having a good solid basis of perennial crops in my food plot versus annuals because like this growing season throughout the summer horrid June and July were awful, right? Someone goes into, if they missed in August rain, they were pretty much hosed from planting a fall crop because September and October were incredibly dry as well. So you sow all your money, time, resource from a food plot standpoint into just strictly planting and banking on annuals, it will leave you high and dry in some years. Whereas... Right now, the perennials has gotten enough rain. They didn't die off. They just came right back. And so kind of like the the red oak, white oak deal is people on a mindset thing is if you're middle latitude and south, you should really consider some perennial food plots. Like really consider that as being a large base. If we're talking about them supplementing additional native forages and truly feeding like the tonnage that can come off of them the responsiveness to moisture their ability to survive you really should consider that versus strictly annual food plots across the board like you're missing you're missing out on the true factor of a perennial clover might get shin high that doesn't matter that's just shin high when you could you know corn they call you know seven foot tall. That doesn't mean that there's a lot of production when the stalk's seven foot tall. 
don't, that, that's all based on kernels, right? But like, I think people just look at it and they're like, how could it be that attractive? How much forage can it really be producing? It produces a lot. <laughs> and Throughout consistently. the year. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing to me with corn, where people put so much into corn. It's like, well, you've got 10 acres of corn there. That's great. What is it actually producing? Yeah. It's like there's a whole period of time there where there was they're no not attraction. getting much benefit out of that. Right. And then if you say, say you're planting that much corn and leaving it standing through the winter, uh-huh. it's like, yeah, there's some benefit there. But in the same sense, and I see this one a lot, where then as it comes around to turkey season and we gripe that I've got way too many raccoons. I've mm-hmm. got tons of raccoons and varmints. Well, you also left 10 acres of corn standing all yeah. year long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you expect? When like, was the last time you saw a coon in a clover plot or an yeah. alfalfa plot? Or in <laughs> or in um, early successional yeah. growth. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, w- we just have to think about what it is we're doing and stop putting ourselves in these these dead gum boxes that oh, just so limit. There is. We could talk for a week straight <laughs> on these. I mean, I I have them rolling everything we talk on. I mm-hmm. mean, the people, the the mindset of well, to help turkeys, I got to kill all the predators. And I I think in the last week, I've seen a picture of a bobcat carrying a possum. Yep, coyote a, carrying a, a coon. A, car- a coyote carrying a, a a raccoon. I mean, all of those. And then the same, I was you were talking about burning. And I'm thinking of this was one that even government agencies, a lot of our government agencies fall in the same thing of like, well, it's late winter, early spring, it's burn season. And we do all of our burning then. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the year, we don't do anything. Yep. Missing out on so many good burn days. We're, we're falling in and doing the same burns time and time again. I wonder why same our diversity time. is lacking, why we yep. have the same species that are flourishing. And, it's, and like, it's like. Now step just, out of the box. You've just limited that amazing tool, though. Like, when you put it in this time frame of this is when you use it, when it can be applied in a lot of other time frames, you've limited the response that you're going to be able to get out of your landscape, out of your seed bank. Like, you you have an, a perfect opportunity, and you feel like you're doing good because you're using fire, but you've just placed it in this limitation and it and fire is not a limitating like a, it's a creator. A lot of time the fire side comes down to it, it looks different than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Fire in the fall is not going to look like your fire in the spring, right? Or it may not fall in your time periods that you 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 haven't planned for it. Well, maybe you should plan a little bit more. That's what I see it with the government agency thing, where it's like, well, this is the time period it falls into. We can only burn so many days a year, and it's like. Just because it doesn't look like the fire that you think it's supposed to be, that you're seeing in the spring, does not mean you're not accomplishing Mosaic way more. Mosaic fire. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's, there's no doubt. So we could go on. But, guys, I want to I wanna leave you with this. Don't be limited by your ability to think outside the box, your ability to accept change. We're, we're in the middle of hunting season, and I know you've experienced and seen some things on the property that you you either loved or you didn't love and so it's a great time whether you need assistance get assistance whether you need to see the property with new eyes try your hardest to to next time you go to the gate the front gate just shed all the memories and start really thinking about the way wildlife work what they need and what your farm does be very critical about what it does not offer 
and then create it. Create it and don't be afraid of what people are going to say because they're probably wrong. <laughs> Just get out. Like, uh, try and achieve diversity. Try and do it spatially in a way that makes sense. But if your property is beginning to transform and not resemble what everything else around it looks like, you're headed in the right direction, most likely. So don't be afraid of change. Embrace the change because the change is probably the thing that is going to catapult you into the success that you wish you have every single year. Like, don't wish that away. Embrace the change because that's literally the only thing that's going to accomplish what it is that you're really hoping that farm and property will produce for you. Chad, think of anything else. I think I'm good. I've said enough. I've said enough. I'm done. Well, guys, I hope that was um, empowering. It didn't crush too much, but it's just one of those conversations that sometimes there's times of the season, times of uh, as we're getting ready to roll into the habitat portion of of the year that's really hot and heavy we have to have these conversations and make sure that everyone knows that there's there's more juice in the lemon to squeeze out than than probably what you may have done in the past so keep searching keep learning and keep an open mind as you move forward throughout the year and uh, wish you guys the best in this holiday season we thank you for listening to the land legacy podcast and we'll catch you here next week